This is Statehouse Blend Missouri, a series of conversations with Missouri lawmakers and leaders about the policies and politics that affect people's lives. I'm Brian Ellison. Missouri Republicans have a firm grip on the state legislature, but among the party's leadership roles, only one of them is filled by someone from Kansas City, or at least the area around Kansas City. Dan Hegeman is the Senate Majority Caucus Secretary. That's the number four job in his party. And he's from Cosby, not far from St. Joseph. His district covers 15 counties that stretch all the way down to Clay County, the outskirts of Kansas City. He's also the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. That means he has significant influence on how nearly $30 billion will get spent. He spoke with me about the governor's budget proposals, about Republicans' hopes for this session, and on why he thinks voters should reconsider some of the decisions they made last fall. Senator Dan Hegeman, Republican from Cosby, the Senate Majority Caucus Chairman and Chair of Appropriations, welcome. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. It's, uh, I enjoy uh, coming to Kansas City and visiting with you at KCUR. Well, it is a, a delight to have you. Um, I, I'm curious, we're two weeks into the session. How do you think it's going so far? Well, well, so far it's going okay. Uh, have, we've had some uh, senators that have exercised their uh, independence already <laughs> and uh, shown that they can hold the floor and talk for quite a while. And, yeah, I, and that maybe was, the earliest filibusters on record. Uh, it was uh, it was an interesting filibuster. Uh, they evidently had some difficulties with some rules changes. Yeah, which I, I mean, I, I was actually going to ask you about this later, but since you brought it up, what what are you, what is that saying? I, I know the Senate in the time that we've been doing this podcast has yeah. has seen its ups and downs in terms of collegiality and productivity. That uh, that certainly wouldn't bode well. Well, you, you would think so. Uh, but but honestly, I think that they were just showing that they they are independent. They have their own mind. Uh, there may have been some other issues behind the scenes that they were wanting to exert some uh, influence over and to show that they, uh, they, that they can speak for a while. Uh, the Senate values its independence. The, uh, each senator values their independence, and uh, uh, which also includes the use of the filibuster now and again. Uh, I just hope that it's used for wise reasons and not used too often. I, I sensed a certain level of amusement from the Democrats who were sort of sitting by and watching this discussion. They, they, they didn't participate much in it. They just sat back and watched. You're correct. <laughs> so let's talk about a thing that uh, you will be spending a lot of your time on this session, which is the state budget. Uh, you bet. Last week, Governor Parson had his first chance to propose a state budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably, you're one of uh, arguably you're one of two people, along with your House uh, Budget Chair colleague, uh, who who will have the most to say about whether that budget actually comes to pass. Uh, what were your general impressions of the governor's budget? You know, I uh, certainly am excited to see where the governor wants to go with many aspects of the budget. And we will get a budget passed this year. Uh, and you're correct that the House Budget Chairman, the Senate Appropriations Chairman, tend to have a little bit of outsized voice on on the preparation and the movement of the budget. But certainly, it is a it's a function of the whole uh, Senate and the whole House as, as well. We take into account uh, the, the wishes and desires of the House members as well as the Senate members. You know, I'll take the Senate members' uh, wishes into account as we prepare the budget, and, of course, the House chairman does the same. And then we, uh, we'll find a, a great compromise and, and work with the governor in that. Is Governor Parson on the right track? He, he said that his focus, there's, there's a lot of issues that are important to a lot of people, but he thought the priorities of the state should be workforce development and infrastructure. I think he's exactly on the right track. That's what we hear out. That's what I hear out in my senatorial district. Is what I hear, even here in the Kansas City area, as I visit with uh, business people and, and community leaders here. Um, you know, the, the, he's 
been stressing these from the get-go as soon as he took uh, over office. Yeah, even before he, office. before he became you bet, governor you in bet, some ways. You bet. And I think he's, he's dead on. So we're looking forward to working with the governor on, on those changes, uh, making workforce development a greater part. Uh, infrastructure improvements, uh, in, in particular broadband infrastructure for the rural areas, that's very important to me, very uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, hopefully that'll move forward, uh, as well as uh, you know some water projects, as well as transportation. And, uh, you know, a lot of the need is still there uh, for transportation, even though uh, Proposition D got defeated last year. Yeah, obviously there's some some real need in in all of these areas, which uh, perhaps is the the real challenge of being a appropriations chair these days. Uh, I mean, let's start with that workforce development, since there was so much talk about it in the state of the state address. Uh, what does that mean to you from a programming standpoint? Uh, what what kinds of initiatives are those dollars actually going for that you think have a realistic chance of of getting through the legislative process. You bet. I, uh, I think the governor's uh, kind of reorganized some of the uh, uh, economic development programs into Missouri One Start. Uh, it's a combination of about three different economic development programs, uh, customized training, all designed to try to train uh, individuals up for the workforce, for jobs that actually exist today that our employers and our uh, our our industries need today. So we're talking uh, about community colleges. We're talking about technical schools. Largely, community colleges, technical schools will provide that those type of programming. But we also have a Missouri Excels, which is a, a number of different programs uh, that across spread across four-year institutions as well as community colleges. Again, designed to give some programming dollars, but also some capital dollars to to build the facilities needed to provide workforce development. Uh, he's also got the fast track grant program, uh, you know, trying to move money into that and, and move people into jobs as well. Everything's focused on jobs, really, and 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 getting the workforce up for today's needs. You know, those are the governor's plans. Yep. Uh, you have to navigate the waters of a, a, a bunch of senators, Republicans and Democrats, you who bet. all will have their uh, pet projects, their things that they want to see you those bet. dollars go to. Do you anticipate uh, a lot of fight over that? I'd hope not. I'd hope we could find ways of, of, of compromising, working with the governor where we do disagree. Uh, and this governor seems to be very engaged with the legislature, unlike some governors in the past. <laughs> so one, uh, one in particular? Well, you know, a couple in particular. Right. Uh, you know, Governor Nixon wasn't particularly uh, engaged with the legislature. He usually let things get to his desk, and then he either vetoed them or uh, withheld dollars. Uh, and then uh, Governor Greitens certainly, uh, you know, had his special style as well. <laughs> I, I, I think it, I hear you saying that you think Governor Parson is going to be engaged throughout the process in a way that, that the budget that finally emerges will have his support. I, I, I do. And I think he will be engaged throughout the process, which is welcomed. And I enjoy that. I, that's the, that I'd rather work with him to try to uh, find common ground. Doesn't rather feel than, like he's interfering. No, no, I wouldn't. No, I don't. I don't see that. I, he's part of the process. It is the legislature's legislature's duty to pass a budget. You know, uh, the legislature, as a third branch of government, uh, controls the purse strings. It is our obligation to come up with a budget, to pass a budget, present the governor a budget. It's nice to have the governor's recommendations, and where we agree, that's wonderful. Where we disagree, then we'll have a conversation, and I look forward to that. We also talked about transportation being a priority, uh, infrastructure, uh, but particularly roads and bridges. Uh, the governor's proposing $351 million in bonds, mm -hmm. uh, borrowing money, to pay for repairing or replacing 250 bridges. Uh, are you comfortable borrowing money to pay for something that's really a basic state need like that? 
I think there'll be a lot of discussion on this uh, particular uh, bond proposal as we move but forward. But I'm asking, are you comfortable doing it? I will find as we go delve into it whether I feel real comfortable with it and whether the Senate feels comfortable with it as well. Uh, it, it Why be, would anyone have hesitations about it, that? I mean, it, it will be somewhat unique. He's, he's using general re- revenue dollars, our discretionary dollars for transportation needs, which hasn't been done in a number of years and certainly not done recently that I can remember. It was uh, There was one project that uh, that did a matching fund, but Governor Nixon withheld those dollars and never let that project go forward. But that's the that's last time I remember that general revenue had been used for transportation needs. So that'll be some discussion in, in and of itself. And, and as, as the governor sees it, that was made necessary by the voters defeating uh, Proposition D, uh, which would have raised the state's sales tax to pay for some of those needs. Uh, do you see a better alternative than the one that the, the governor's proposing? I think we all look for uh, additional needs for transportation. We're looking Looking for alternatives as well. Uh, this is this is not the fix to transportation needs. What the governor proposed, but it is a bold idea uh, that he's brought forth, worthy of discussion, and I look forward to that discussion. I'm sorry to press you on this a little further, okay. but you you say this is not the the solution. This is not no. the fix that that to, to transportation needs. I, I think we'll need to come back. I think the legislature still needs to to bring forth something that the people will accept on. Uh, dealing with our transportation infrastructure needs. You know, we still have a lot of, in my area, have a lot of uh, lettered routes that are crumbling and are not being maintained. Uh, they're doing the best with what the resources they have. They just don't have the resources. MoDOT doesn't have the resources to to maintain the, the farm-to-market roads. Here in the, in the city, you've got, uh, you know, just congestion issues uh, that, that still need to be main- addressed, some bridges that need to be attended to. Um, there's a lot of needs out there. So the governor's trying to address that and trying to bridge that gap somewhat with some general revenue dollars. You know, a lot of Democrats, after they heard the state of the state and they looked over the governor's budget, said something along the lines of, hey, we like workforce development. We like spending uh, the the full foundation formula on K-12 education. We like infrastructure investment, but you have to pay for it somehow. Uh, there's been a lot of concern that revenues are are lower than they have been in past years. This after uh, tax cuts are kicking in that have been approved over the last few years. Are you concerned about revenues? I think we're always a little concerned about revenues. Yeah, I'm very cautious right now about uh, revenues. Uh, we do believe that there was a, a uh, an error in the uh, withholding tables uh, that uh, that will. Um, come true once people start filing their income tax returns in you know, March and April. So we look for those numbers to come around, uh, the, the, the decrease in, in earnings that we've had, the revenues we've had. So we look for that to come around and, and get back to a fairly normal budget uh, uh, in accordance with the uh, adjusted uh, consensus revenue estimate for fiscal year 2019. But, you know, even apart from the, the error in the withholding table, some of those hundreds of millions that, that didn't come in last year will may come in uh, eventually now when you, people you, pay their taxes. You bet. That's exactly what we're, we're expecting. But there is also some concern that, that revenues appear to be down, largely because the taxes were cut. Uh, and the, the fact is that th- that money is not coming back unless taxes were to be raised. Yeah. And I think we need to be very cautious about that. Uh, we do have, you know, every every bill it's, that we put out there has a, uh, a, a fiscal note to it, you know, according, uh, allowing how much money that this bill will cost or will it 
bring in and such like that. Uh, so we, by looking at the fiscal note, we were very prudent last year in some of the tax cuts that we had. Uh, and so I think we need to be very cautious. And you know, there are some new revenues going to be coming in too. We've, we've done some cuts in uh, tax credits. Uh, matter of fact, I've got a bill in looking at uh, low-income housing tax credits to try to get that program back up and going uh, and, and put a cap on it. And so we'll have that discussion uh, here in, uh, in this uh, session as well. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that for a moment. Yep. The, the low-income housing tax credit was mm-hmm. something that the former governor, Eric Greitens, uh, opposed uh, in principle. Uh, and so he, he wanted to grant no credits. Uh, that was never where Governor Parsons stood when he was a member of that yep. commission. But yet that's where we're at today. You know, Governor Parsons does want to see some changes to it, and he has not started that program up again, uh, even as he assumed the governor's mantle, because he'd like to see some changes done to that program. Are and, you and working so we, with him on your proposal we, to put we a cap wor- on the We credits? are working with uh, everybody in that. Yeah, the governor's office as well as the my fellow senators as well as, uh, you know, the po- folks engaged in the low-income housing uh, market and, and building these uh, necessary low-income housing uh, facilities out there. We should say this is a credit for developers who agree to build this particular type of low-income housing. It, it is. And a lot of times it's really interesting. A lot of times they not only is it aimed at low-income housing, but it's also aimed at uh, the veterans and and the elderly, development disabled, uh, you know, so community even even more targeted to some communities that, that could use the help who also fall in that low-income housing area. And then really what I call workforce housing, too, and, and many of them are, are developing workforce housing. And so there's a need to get the program back up and going, and I'm looking forward to that discussion. You've mentioned the importance of the independence of the, the legislative branch in developing the budget. You hold the purse strings. I want you to, to disregard the, the, the fact that you and the governor are of the same party for a moment and, and, and say, if you were writing this budget yourself, how would it look different than, than what's before you? Oh, you know, quite honestly, uh, um, I agree with many, many of the areas that we're, that we're going into. Uh, I might put a little bit more towards uh, broadband expansion across the state of Missouri. I might put a little bit more into some infrastructure, uh, other infrastructure projects. Uh, might put some more into uh, nursing homes, you know, who seem to struggle right now and, and are really having a hard time taking care of the typically low-income population there as well. Many of the nursing homes uh, have a lot of Medicaid uh, patients in their visitors in their facility, I should say, or residents. And um, you know, there's a need to try to get that uh, payment up so that they can continue taking care of these Medicaid uh, patients in, in their facilities. There's a little bit of money in the governor's budget to increase the, the rate is. at which Medicaid pays. But would, you, would you expand Medicaid in Missouri? No, I don't. I wouldn't go that far, but I would like to address the the needs that we have already obligated ourselves to. Uh, th- there's many areas that we could put more money to take care of where we're at right now in Medicaid uh, to to help people and, and, and address that. But uh, I am actually a little bit leery of expanding Medicaid greatly because it continues to consume a larger and larger portion of our our discretionary dollars each year, which means that le- leaves us less money for. Uh, other programs such as education, higher education, elementary, secondary education, um, you know, uh, corrections, you know, public safety, uh, and areas like that that depend upon the discretionary dollars, the general revenue, economic development, workforce development. That's all general revenue dollars. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to be able to address those areas as well. Uh, I'd hate to see all that consumed entirely by Medicaid, which on the course we're going, 
uh, we, we need to be very cautious about that. Yeah, many states, including many states uh, governed by Republicans, mm-hmm. have sought uh, to expand Medicaid in a way that they could receive more federal funds, which right now Missouri cannot receive, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps alleviating some pressure on the state budget, at least for a time. Do you, uh, do you not want to see the state go down that road? I am not entirely convinced that uh, the states still don't have to shoulder a large burden that that becomes very uh, difficult for them to manage. Um, I want to ask you about one other element of the governor's budget proposal, which is that at the end of the day, he he would leave $116 million in the bank for unanticipated needs or uh, budget emergencies. Can you imagine a scenario where the budget that is ultimately approved by this General Assembly has a $116 million uh, surplus at the end of it? I think we can. In the past couple of years, we've, we've left about $100 million in the, uh, on the bottom line. Basically, it's what we call the rainy day fund. And I think that's, again, very prudent, very cautious, uh, very conservative uh, approach to budgeting. Uh, preparing the state in the time that we may see a, a, a recession again and uh, and leaving some resources there so we don't struggle when we see those times. So I think it's a, it's a wise and prudent practice. I want to ask you about a couple other issues not related to the budget, if that's mm-hmm. all right. Uh, when we talk when we want to talk with Kansas City area Republicans in leadership in this year's General Assembly, mm-hmm. um, well, you're it. Uh, <laughs> you're the number four Republican in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if we can count Andrew County as the Kansas City area or not. I, I come into Clay County all okay. the way down to Missouri City. So, you cover 15 uh, uh, I, counties, 15 I see. counties, yeah. So I've got Smithville, Kearney, Excelsior Springs, Missouri City, and Clay County in my senatorial district as well. So, uh, All right. Well, at, well, we'll count you then. At times, it's convenient to count. <laughs> but you're the only one. How has it happened that the Kansas City metro area has has failed to have more of a presence in the rooms where it happens in Jeff City? I think we've just got some uh, younger uh, senators coming in. Yeah, we've we've uh, you know revolved through some of the older senators that have been here, and um, you know I'm happy to be in leadership and and to provide that guidance and and assistance to my colleagues. Uh, But uh, you know we've got some very good representatives and senators here in in the Kansas City area that that are doing a wonderful job. And, and we'll build that status as we go forth. Is Kansas City suffering in any way from a policy standpoint or from an influence standpoint by the fact that uh, there aren't more Republicans representing this area and moving up through leadership? Well, I, I'm I'm always in favor of more Republicans coming to Jefferson <laughs> City and, and uh, get engaged in leadership. So that would be wonderful, and certainly be excited about that. Um, but I think you, I think your representation does a very fine job uh, here. Mike Sirpoy is a wonderful state senator. Uh, Ed Emery, you know, kind of you might call them ring senators, but they're out there doing a wonderful job as well, and 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 are very well respected in the General Assembly. Another area that has been uh, very much under discussion last in these first two weeks of the session uh, are the voter-approved ballot initiatives that some Republicans have said they'd like to revisit uh, mm-hmm. and perhaps uh, undo the impact of those initiatives, uh, particularly the, the redistricting plan that was part of the Clean Missouri yep. initiative. Um, although uh, over on the House side, when uh, adopting House rules, uh, a number of Republican representatives sought to... Uh, avoid some of the requirements for uh, transparency in uh, internal emails or emails to legislators. Sure. Uh, 
Would you seek to undo any of the voter-approved ballot initiatives from this last election? I think there may be opportunity to give the voters an, uh, a second chance to consider some of these these initiatives that uh, that are, that are out there that that came forth in the last time. Like which ones? Well, you know, I, I really believe Clean Missouri was pushed by out-of-state interests that uh, came into the state and pushed their agenda on us uh, by combining some some uh, you know very. Uh, uh, attractive, uh, you know, ethics type of reforms, along with the redistricting plan, which, I, in my mind, are two very distinct and separate issues that should not have been on the ballot at the same time. So, in that regards, I do disagree with the courts in their decision to allow that to go forth. I think they were, I truly do believe there were there were more than one issue on that ballot uh, initiative. Uh, you you think voters uh, did not realize what they were voting on? They may, they may realize aspect, certain aspects of it. They may not re- read the uh, entire bill through because it was a you know many page uh, initiative, uh, and and it took a lot of reading and dissecting and, and concentration to really get the full impact of what uh, what that initiative would done. Uh, so I think that there may be opportunity for, to give the voters another chance to look at that to see if there's at least the redistricting aspect is truly what they wanted. Uh, I really feel like that the the issue that passed will create more gerrymandering in the state of Missouri rather than less and will 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 separate communities of interest uh, you know like my rural areas in northwest Missouri like the urban areas here in, in Kansas City and st. Louis I do think it's designed to split those up and and give a broader voice to maybe the suburban areas and and as a rural legislator first and foremost, Unless it's convenient to be a Kansas City legislator, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do, that, that is something that bothers me. It, yeah. that, that 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 my rural Northwest Missouri may have less of a voice in in the legislative process. And 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 there have been folks in urban areas who've raised concerns along those lines as well. And I think they're valid. Having said that, that's a different concern than than the voters simply didn't understand what they were voting on. Because obviously, if if they understood and that's the way they decided to go, would you as a legislator abide by it regardless you well, would I think be we're okay with the voters to, will to to some extent we, I mean I think the ethics reforms we need to to follow through on it um, you know although that you know I, I see some difficulties there you know a, a lot of uh, regional events have been canceled because of the $5 uh, gift ban, and they're afraid legislators won't be able to come and, and, and enjoy a meal and hear about Jefferson City this or hear the, about the, Springfield. The or limit, about, the gift, the, the, gift the, the lobbyist gift limit of of five dollars. Yeah, that uh, that's one of the concerns. So I mean, that, I think that was an, unin- an unintended consequence. I don't think people really want to uh, put a, a wall up between the legislators and themselves. That also comes about with the uh, sunshine aspect of the bill. Um, you know, there's a lot. I, I truly feel like it's it has created a divide between my constituents and myself in be able to to address their concerns. Uh, right now, we put forth a, a notice that saying you know in our emails that that says, um, you know, be aware that any uh, this correspondence you're giving me uh, could be sunshineable and, 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 and could become, you know, public. Um, there are you know, there are times when constituents need to engage with their legislators to help work through the bureaucracy of the of a big organization like state government. Uh, and I think this puts cold water on that. I think it puts a, a divide between legislators and their constituents. I lament that. I I I I really am, am upset that I won't be able to fully engage on behalf of my constituents in that regard anymore, uh, because they're going to be shy of 
of being bringing uh, forth discrete information that they uh, that they need help with, but yet. The, the concern that it may become public would be enough that they won't engage with their legislators anymore. So you've criticized the redistricting plan, you've criticized the uh, transparency requirements, and you've criticized the lobbyist gift limit. Uh, it sounds to me like you'd support the wholesale repeal of Clean Missouri. Well, I came out against it uh, before the election. And, uh, but I, but and it I, passed with more than 60% of the yeah, vote. You did. would still support repealing it now. Uh, I think there's provisions of it that we need to readdress and allow the public to have a chance to, to consider once again. Let me just ask uh, one more question. Well, actually, let me ask you, uh, what, yeah. what haven't we talked about that, uh, that, that you think is important right now in the state of Missouri? You know, uh, with the fully funded and the foundation formula is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And to continue to do that, continue the support for um, education uh, you know, in that regard is wonderful. Um, I think we need to t- look at the transportation categorical within the, f- the school foundation formula uh, or funding formula to try to get some more money for people to, for, for school districts to run buses and transportation needs. We've, we've been somewhat... Uh, backed off of that for the few years, and there's a need to try to, to get some dollars into that. I think there's a plan. The governor added $10 million. It'd be nice to add a little bit more if this we could. This is for school busing, It's for school busing, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's, so it'll be interesting uh, to, to look at that. Yeah, a, a lot. there was a sort of a decision a few years back to wean local districts off of that that kind of funding, right? To, to, to not provide as much money for uh, busing in the state funds, hoping they would pay for that locally if they needed it. Well, if there was, it wasn't, they didn't discuss it with me. So I didn't, uh, <laughs> uh, if that was done a few years ago, uh, mind you, I've been in the legislature uh, again four years now in the Senate. Uh, uh, and um, before that, I was in the House for 11 years in the 90s, from 91 through 2002. Uh, I don't remember that uh, discussion uh, any time that I was there. But uh, It's maybe one the, of the places that cuts were made when it, cuts it, needed it, to be made. It, it, it may be, but I think that there is a, a, certainly a place for the state government to involve in, itself in that. And I'm happy to look forward to that. You you know, higher that, education well, might be another area that would be great to look at that. We've, we've, we've had stagnant funding in higher education. And, and in years past, last year, I thought that was a win just to be level funding. Um, you know, I think there may be a time to look at, at higher education. And, and maybe that's done through the A-plus grants, some of the Access Missouri grants, continue to keep those strong, uh, you know, maybe a way to address that. But there's another area that, uh, you know, would be great to, to look at and see if we could do more there. And uh, I guess I'll ask the same question of you that uh, Democrats were asking of the governor. How would you pay for all that? Again, we'll just have to work within our means, you know, look at the resources. If we can find some efficiencies out there, which I'm still convinced that there's some efficiencies to be found in in state government. Beyond those, the governor's already. The governor did a good job of, uh, and I I respect and applaud him for finding some efficiencies, uh, some FTE jobs that that basically haven't been filled and, and moving those dollars into areas such as corrections. You know, our correctional officers have had a need to get a, a, a – we really have a need to bring their salaries up so we can attract new officers into the correctional system and then reward some of the long-term officers that have been there for a long time so we can keep officers in the correctional system. You know, I have the Crossroads and Western Correctional Facilities in my district. We've had a terrible time trying to keep those staffed up to the effect that it has affected uh, the security and safety of the officers and the inmates. And so, you know, we need to do something to try to, to, to keep all of us safe, in, uh, the public as a whole, uh, by, by helping our correctional officers uh, 
attract them in and keep them so that we can have fully staffed correctional facilities. And in a stroke of bipartisanship, Democrats actually supported the governor's uh, consolidation of those facilities as yeah, well. You bet. And, well, it, it, it's um, I can't say I'm excited about it, but it seems to be where we needed to go. Senator Dan Hageman, a Republican from Cosby, he is chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, also the Majority Caucus chairman. Thank you so much for being with us. It is a pleasure. Statehouse Blend Missouri is a production of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening.